Welcome to Politics Welcome Done Right. My name is Egberto Willis, your host. Good morning, Houston. Directly this time from Houston. I'm no longer in Chicago. We are right here in Houston, Texas. And before we even get started, I want all of us who are listening to my... This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Voice right now to give two great guys a thank you for making things work seamlessly, even as we were remote out of state. To El Señor Howard Reynolds and Jack Van Beber, who made it seem so simple and clear that we came through loud and clear from a hotel room in Chicago as we maintain this daily morning show live. Thank you guys in the studio for getting the job done. Oh, we thought you were going to salute to Laurel and Hardy this morning. There's a couple of great guys. <laughs> How's it going out there in the studio, my friends? Oh, pretty good. Here you go, Jack. Good morning, Alberto. Buenos dias, hermano. You sent me a little something. Is that going to be our tally of the morning? Yeah, I I can do that. Hold on. No, 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 no. Do what you intended to do. Oh, no, that that's that's a good one. Um, I was sitting out there, you know, uh, just kind of enjoying the day, and I. I wrote down uh, uh here, let me pull it up. Okay, while he reaches for his phone where he's going to give us some Try more to- Jack wisdom this morning. <laughs> some Ben Weber wisdom. <laughs> All right, here we go. Ghost sitting outside, faithful and loving dog at my side, trees overhead with no place to hide, radio playing, gonna go shop fire up the pit and deal with the forces of empire that way. You know, I, I tell you, you sounded like a poet. Well, I guess, you know, (laughs) what, what empire, the evil empire, the evil, the evil fascist empire is taking us all over. You mean the one that doesn't strike back? No, it strikes all the time. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, let's let's not hijack his show here. Egberto, you're on. You're on. All right, my brothers and my my brothers and my sisters throughout the country, throughout Houston, throughout Texas. Anyhow, I just got back from the Netroots Nation conference in Chicago, and uh, when I sent out as, when I sent out my newsletters, uh, the ones that actually go to to everybody, I have this thing that I said every year. I try to interview between twenty five people. And north of 50 people depend on the, you know, depend on how it goes and how long interviews go, et cetera. There's just a certain amount of days in the, I mean, hours in a day. Well, this time around, we did 44 plus in, uh, in Chicago of interviews. And I have so much material that I've got to process with great people. The idea behind this conference is it's where progressives 
all over the country get together. It's called Net Roots Nation. Look it up. We're going to have it in Baltimore next year. We had it in Chicago this year. We had it in Pittsburgh last year. A few. Uh, we've had it in Arizona, Austin, uh, Miami, uh, uh, Delaware, San Jose, California, all these places. We've had it. Alistair Water is in the house. Good morning, Alistair Waters. Welcome to see you as well in the chat. So um, we go out there and we really talk politics. We really talk what's best for the working class. I mean, it's a real thing. We get real folks in there from the unions to, to, uh, to the medical folk to, you know, the whole works. And I got a blanket of people in every strata out there interviewed. We've got politicians like Keith Ellison, who um, was the secretary of, not, is, not secretary of state, is the uh, attorney general of Minnesota that made sure the riots really didn't get out of hand with the George Floyd case. If you remember, that could have exploded into oblivion. His measured approach to the way he dealt with that thing there kind of calmed things down as people saw that it wasn't going to be some sort of a, well, he calmed things down out there. I, I got to speak to the Secretary of State of Connecticut, uh, the, the, in the Secretary, or rather the President of the AFT, the American Federation of Unions, which is 1.7 million people strong, a lot of activists, a lot of uh, writers, etc. I tell you, we have a lot of stuff, and today we're going to talk to the, uh, the National, or rather you'll hear the interview I did with the National Director of... Let's see, it's the National Director of the Working Families Party. It is amazing. It is amazing. It is amazing. I left there refreshed. I left there knowing that, you know what? We have people. We have people that are going to be real and believe in, in America. People that's not going to give that fall belief, you know, I, I just, before I came on to the air, I was l taking a look at Morning Joe. I get a lot of clips from Morning Joe. I get a lot of clips from these other things because what they do is I take a lot of times the news that these guys give and add to it or reinterpret it because sometimes the way they look at it from a, uh, what point of view, do, I don't want to sound too, uh, too objectional, but Sometimes the way they interpret certain things with regards to the working class behooves me. You're going to see when we talk about the UPS strike that's on the horizons, what I mean by that in a minute, or rather not in a minute, but after I do my, the interview, that we have to make sure that every policy that we look at, not how it affects or affects some multimillionaire or some billionaire, but how it affects people. And being at that conference, you saw thousands of people. And yes, I didn't say hundreds. I said, you see thousands of people that actually are going to make a difference and that are making a difference. And Maurice Mitchell, who is the... Uh, who is the uh, general man? Not general manager, national director of the Workings Party. Well, I tell you what. Let's talk about what the program is about. The title of the show is Christie says he will lie. Actually, I want to start with that one just for the heck of it. Wor uh, Working Families Party's director dispels the myth 
on centrism. And the UPS strike is imminent if we can get to it. So, folks, this is the call-in show. We may or may not get to everything. 713-526-5738 is the number. 713-526-5738. Extension number two. Please don't wait on the, till the end to call. Uh, please don't wait till the end to call. What I'm going to do is this one is real short. The, the inter- I'm going to play this one here. Christy, as you know, wants to make that debate stage so he can keep that attack on Donald Trump. To Because, again, we all know Donald Trump is a clear and present danger to America. And even though the vast majority of Americans will, in fact, vote, probably seven, eight, by eight million more will vote for uh, whoever uh, the, the Democrats put up, because if they put uh, compared to a Donald Trump, uh, the problem is he can still lose with that kind of a win, with Biden winning that much popular vote because of this. Uh, people call it the error in the Constitution. I call it an aberration in the Constitution. I call it a, uh, a grab, a power grab of the Constitution. But since I have a caller and the interview is about 20 minutes or so, I want to go to the caller first. David, come on in. Good morning. Did you hear me? Yes, I can, David. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, Alberto. I'm a first-time caller, a few months uh, listener. Um, Thank you so kindly for uh, listening, sir. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm just a, uh, I want to recommend something. I don't know if you already know, but Robert Wright, this is his last year in Berkeley as a teacher. And um, he has available on YouTube uh, a 12 course uh, class. YouTube, yeah. Wealth and Wealth and Poverty. It's called. Yeah, uh, sir. Uh, that is, yeah, I am aware of that, and thank you for pointing that out. Thank and uh, that is a good resource. You're absolutely right. I don't think I've ever mentioned that. So go ahead and repeat it, sir. It's wealth and poverty. It's on YouTube and uh, on, on the Robert Reich uh, page. Right, and that is RobertReich.com, I believe. Yesterday, yeah, wealth and poverty. I mean, he has many, many videos, but this is a. On the playlist, if you go on, to, on their wealth and poverty, you'll find uh, it's. I think it's a very uh, eye-opening um, class. You you are correct, sir. It is, uh, and folks, you can find that at robertreich.org and get a link to it. Robertreich.org, O-R-G, and Reich is spelled R-E-I-C-H. Thank you very much for that, David. Anything else you'd like to add beforehand? And by the way, thanks for calling in, and thanks for being a first-time caller, sir. Yeah, uh, no, just go ahead and and keep going. All right, thank you, sir. You have a wonderful rest of your day. Okay, sir, we're gonna we're gonna start with some, what I think is something funny. As you know, uh, a lot of uh, a few of the candidates said we are not going to sign that pledge that says we are going definitely going to support whoever the Republican Party nominates as the person leading the party for the presidency. And uh, we have heard from Texas who said it would be a lie to do that. Well, of course, you know. Donald Trump signed it back in 2016, and when it was asked on stage if he will follow his pledge to support whoever was the nominee if it weren't him, and he said to everybody, no. 
Well, you know what? Chris Christie said, well, you know what? What's good for the goose is good for the gander. And while I, I can understand how the ethics behind uh, a former representative, a herd from Texas, who is also running for president, while I can understand his stance in a country that could possibly be led by a heathenous thug, I think it is. I think what Chris is saying here uh, is apropos. Check this out, and then we'll take it on the other side. First debate, uh, as you note, now almost a month away. I want you to take a listen to what your fellow 2024 candidate, former Texas Congressman Will Hurd, had to say about those who take the debate pledge to support the eventual nominee. This is what he had to say a couple weeks ago. I can't lie to get access to a microphone. I'm not going to support uh, Donald Trump. I recognize the impact that it has on 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 you know my ability to get access mm-hmm. to the debate stage. But I I can't lie. It'll be easy to say I'll do it, and then when it comes down, you know, change your mind. But I just can't. I can't do that. In your, I'm sorry. In Will Hurd's formulation, are you? Lying to make the debate stage by signing a pledge to support the nominee, no matter who it is, including if it's Donald Trump. Well, I won't see uh, I won't see Will Hurt on the debate stage, and that's okay by me. Uh, the fact is, we've got to change our party, Jake, and change our country. Um, and we had these debate pledges uh, um, eight years ago, as you'll recall, and all of us signed them. And then when we got on the debate stage and we were asked to reaffirm it, Donald Trump refused to raise his hand. The only one of 10 candidates who did. Uh, the fact is, uh, he has set the president here, and uh, I will sign the debate pledge, um, and I will take it every bit as seriously as he did in 2016. We understand what that said. I will take the pledge that I sign as seriously as Donald Trump himself took the pledge. I will take it as seriously as Donald Trump took the pledge. Anyhow, folks, I I realize as I call, as I started the show, I didn't tell you guys. Remember, you can also watch the show on YouTube by going to uh, politicsdoneright.tv, politicsdoneright.tv. As well, you can listen on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash KPFT Houston, facebook.com slash KPFT Houston, or download the app TuneIn from Uh, your app store, whether it be Android or Apple, and search for KPFT, and you can listen to us on your phone or go to our website, kpft.org, kpft.org. Welcome aboard, Russ MCT on the chat. Uh, Thank you so kindly for being here, who says, Robert Reich is great, well worth listening to. Absolutely so. And those of you that are listening here as well, thank you, because we cover a lot of what's in, 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 in the topics that Robert Wright covers. And even sometimes we paraphrase some of that great, uh, that great guy. And notice I said he was a great guy. He was once the labor secretary for Bill Clinton. Uh, he, uh, sometimes Bill Clinton made him quite upset because, again, Robert Wright really knows the number and he doesn't play games with the numbers. Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started now with uh, the working parties. Uh, national director. He will talk. About, well, listen to it. I think you're going to find it quite powerful. Let's get started right this minute. Let me introduce you, Maurice Mitchell, who is 
the chairman, director, president, what you want to call it, our national director of the Working Families Party. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. well, you know, um, the last time we spoke actually was before the pandemic. Yes. And, um, you know, things were, there's a particular, there's a particular talk that you gave about if, don't tell me that there isn't, uh, that, that you want to be non-ideological because being non I, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. Being non-ideological is, in effect, ideological. Absolutely. Expand on that for me. Hey, okay, well, we're going, we're going right we're into it. We're going right into it. <laughs> I mean, I think there, in our discourse, there's... And I'm sorry, Maurice. Okay, no problem. Yeah. So in our discourse, in like the popular discourse, in a lot of like the mainstream discourse, there is this illusion that you can be non-ideological. Right. Right? And oftentimes, when people speak... Um, derisively right. of ideologues. Right. Like they're often talking about people on the left, actually, right. especially inside of the Democratic Party. Right. When, when they're debating ideology. Right. And I think that that is outrageous right. for a number of reasons. Number one, it is assuming that the people, like, let's just take the Democratic Party, then I'm right. going to go broadly. Right. But inside the Democratic Party, when you hear these debates, it assume, it's making this assumption that people that are called quote-unquote centrists, and right. I hate that term, yeah. right? Um, that they don't have ideology, right? right? That they're, they're sort of like blank slates ideo ideologically. Right. When they're advancing a very particular ideological worldview exactly. of incrementalism, of neoliberalism, this idea that the markets can take, can kind of handle all the issues that we right. face, even, even these big existential issues that we face, that is a particular philosophy and a particular ideology that is informing public policy, informing debate. So we should name it. We should surface it. And we should have that philosophical debate instead of denying the debate by claiming that there is an ideology. And there's a reason for that because they they have succeeded in having their ideology be the common sense. Right. Right? So you don't have to really like surface it when it's just in the air. Right. Which is why it's so important for those of us that have issues with it, for those of us that believe that there's huge fallacies and there's more of us than them, right? right. Most By people yeah. most people believe like, hey, this stuff isn't working, right? We may not have the ideological terminology in right. place. Most of us are like, the system isn't working. Um, big business doesn't work for us. Uh, politics are corrupt. Wealthy people and corporations have more power and influence that, that, than they need. Well, there's actually an ideology that puts that in place, right? right? And we want to have that conversation and they don't want to have that conversation. They're scared of the conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is why we even have this fallacy that there's such a thing as being non-ideological, right. right? Or that there are this both-sidism. Right. right? Oh, I hate that. The yes. both-sidism that there's like a far right and a far left and there's problems in both of these extremes and we need to meet each other in the middle, right? right? When, what I always like to say is like, look, the right and the left are not equal. Right. <laughs> right? You have a right and you have a far right that is violent. Right. That is authoritarian. Right. That is anti-democratic. Then in some some forms of the far right are fascistic. Right. And as much as I could see, the the worst thing you could say about the left or like the far left is that 
yeah, um, sometimes people on the left can be really annoying, yes, right? Yeah. And unless there's a way that you could weaponize being annoying and people could be annoyed to death, right. we should not be both siding these things, right. right? When people on the far right are actually organizing in militias, are storming the Capitol, are trying to use public policy in order to prevent democracy from existing, right. we need everybody people who identify as progressive, people who identify as centrist, people who identify as conservative, recognizing that there is a particular strand of right-wing ideology that seeks to destroy all other ideas. Right. And we cannot tolerate that, right. right? And so we could only have that conversation if we're explicit about the fact that Everything in public life is an, is part of an ideological right. what, project. What your belief system is. Yes, it's your belief system. And like, you know, the, the term ideology might be confusing for folks. It's just like your belief system. Right. It's just the thing that you use to understand where we are and where, you, where we want to go. Everybody has one of those. Right. Some of them are more coherent than others. Some of them are more more consistent and and um, clearer than others. But we all have them. And if you think you don't have them, then likely... You're replicating the dominant status quo worldview. Because you don't really have to talk about having an ideology because the system is you. Yes. So if if you think you don't have one, then the things that you're doing are likely exactly. replicating the status quo. And what the status quo says is the systems that are in place, the racial and class hierarchies that are in place, uh, the inequality that's in place, right. those things are fine. Right. And we want to lock them in place. Right. And so... By carrying on in a non-ideological way, not being curious about your grounding philosophy, you are putting in place and reaffirming that thing. And you should be aware of that. You shouldn't think that what you're doing is neutral. Right. And that's why I, I said that when I said that and why I think it's so important. I actually wrote about this. Right. Um, we need to be clear about who we are ideologically as organizations and as individuals. And I actually believe that the more ideological we are, like the more clear we are about our grounding philosophy, right. the, the, the better it is in, in society. Because then I could say like, oh, this is where you are. Right. This is where, where I am. This is where we could collaborate. This is where we have differences. Mm -hmm. But when everything is all mushy... It's really hard to do that. And that is actually by the design of the people you know, at the top of the hierarchy. Mushiness is increased in entropy and, and all of that is what is needed. In fact, profit is made on people not knowing stuff. That's why we don't have Medicare for all and all of that. The, 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 the issues that you have when there's so many choices to not real choices. Right, but, not real choices. But that's what occurs. Now, I, I said I wanted to talk something about it. And a lot of people would not really tie these together. First of sure. all, we know that the working uh, families uh, organization, I mean, the working family party, party yeah. I always mess up. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Sure. That, that we know what uh, that it stands for, livable wages and all the good things that uh, yeah. progressives know most Americans want. 60, 70, 80% of yes. Americans. Yes. Something is happening now called AI. Yes. AI is going to affect, at for once now, the class that thought they were unaffectable, if mm -hmm. that's a word, mm -hmm. are suddenly going to be affected because writers are going to be replaced and mm -hmm. all of these are going to replace them. Now, people are scared. Yeah. I am not scared. I'm, I'm saying we can embrace AI if we had it done in a format that's honest. In other words, AI is nothing more than productivity increases. Mm -hmm. If productivity increases, it's simply for the wealthy, then it's a problem because, yeah, not only the working class loses job, but now the 
regular folks lose jobs. However, if we have policies now that says, by the way, AI was a composite knowledge of us all. Mm -hmm. And as a composite knowledge of us all, yeah. we should all partake in that, it, that you don't need 50 operators, you only need 10 operators now. Well, we probably need to reduce the work week by 50% or, or mm -hmm, 60%. Mm -hmm. If we look at AI as a composite knowledge and meaning we need to work less, it would work, but in a capitalist system as we oh, have it yeah. today, yeah. So, the yeah. spoils are going to go, yeah. you know, work. This yeah. question comes. Yeah, okay, let me hear the question. question. Okay. The question is coming. How is the working families, parties, and others, instead of fighting AI like I've seen in the unions in, in Hollywood, etc., use AI as a matter of saying, no, what it means mm -hmm. is this composite knowledge, the productivity from this composite knowledge needs to be shared. There are two ways to skin a cat. Okay. Stop it yep. or... So let me let me reframe that a little bit, yes. right? So I don't think there's any real stopping of technology. No way, right? yes. Technology is a tool, right. right? The thing that I'm curious about is who's wielding that, that tool, Power, yes. right? The other, the other questions I'm, I'm curious about is that who is realizing the upside from yes. engaging that tool? And if there is a downside, who has to hold the downside? Right. It is a system question. Right. Right. If, if the people who are wielding that tool are people who are already privileged, people like Silicon Valley VCs and others, yes. and if they are also the people who will realize the upside yeah. and then the downsides will be will be held by all of us mm -hmm. then number one that's called capitalism yes and i think we're on the road for ai to do that not because it's ai but because we're it's we're living under system. this economic system right right, right. now so the question is, how can our organizing leverage this moment right. when workers are realizing their power, right. when actors are going on strike, writers are going on strike, um, you know, UPS drivers are going on strike? Um, how can we how can we take this moment where where AI and automation and robotics are sort of reimagining work? How can we use that as a as an occasion to lead Right. And so what I'm interested in, what is going to be the social justice application mm -hmm. of this technology? Right. And then also, what are the, what are the systems applications? How can we perhaps have a different economic system? Right. Where. All right. If this technology. Right. Is creating more productivity and creating more value. Right. How can we realize the value? Because when you look at all of these technologies. Right. From automation to AI to exactly. right, they're leveraging the commons. Hey, that's my right? point. So they're yeah. leveraging the commons. They're leveraging what is our common value, right? For example, AI is just like the pulling in knowledge from the, everybody. Yes, yeah. from the internet, just knowledge from everybody. Things right. that maybe you wrote, exactly. things that I wrote, right? right? Just sucking it up and making a, a, a model out of that. Right. But then a, a handful of white men in Silicon Valley are going to be the ones that benefit from the total knowledge of the... So how can we have public policy in place, right, that says, if we're going to if we're going to realize these benefits, perhaps, mm -hmm. from automation, from uh, the attention economy and, right. and these algorithms, from AI, all of these tools, how can the public policy be, be put in place to ensure that the 
the wealth and the capacity that is derived from these things benefit the commons that actually built these things. And a lot of these things, like a lot of these, like for example, like Elon and Tesla, right? They didn't like do anything, yeah. But, but you know, te- like, what, like, like first of all, Elon didn't start Tesla, right? right? But yeah. <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Yeah. But Tesla benefited from a huge government Government grant. contracts. Government contracts, right? That's one of the reasons why Tesla's Tesla, right? Yeah. And then like, so many things we, we overlook as part of the commons, like the interstate highways, the internet, the infrastructure right. of the internet, um, a lot of the research and development coming out of our public uh, institutions, our public universities, right? So the public is creating this infrastructure and the groundwork for these businesses and for these VC people to be able to even benefit, right? And, and there's the public knowledge on the internet was yes. created by us. There should be public policy put in place, and it can't just be U.S. because this technology is everywhere. Right. Global public policy put in place to ensure that we, as humanity, can actually benefit from the from the capacity that's being built from these technologies, and that is on us and our organizing. And we need to, to constrain these corporations to hold them accountable to make that happen. I am glad you said that, and I, because one of the things that I I've been putting AI into the productivity domain and the and the commons, you know, because that that's where it comes from. But if you if you watch the news and watch most of the organizations that get play, we don't hear that message, which is something that I think is important. And I think it is on us, it's on progressives to change the narrative because the AI narrative is not what you just said, which it is. And to put it bluntly, AI is just one technology. But from the building of the cars where all this money goes to a few, to every technology that we've had, it has always been the technology of the commons. Mm -hmm. It has all to everything that you see here technological. Yeah. Uh, even when Intel built the processor, it wasn't on just Intel, but it was on the person who understood materials. It was on the person who understood all these things. And I'm glad that you're putting it that way. My next question is sure. how, how do we nationalize, internationalize the message beyond what the mainstream media will do. And you see, I have the answer. I want to see if you, what you are going to say okay. about that. So, so you have the answer? Yes. Okay. Well, I'm curious what your answer is. But, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a broken record, right? Yes. So ultimately, I think through our, through our organizing, right, right we, we need to have a popular conversation. Right about these basic facts. Right. You started off with ideology, right? right? We're, we're often kind of confused about these things. Right. right? So even though, even though all of the value of an economy comes from us, us just right. like regular people right. doing what we do. And, and how do I know that? Well, if one day every single uh, fund manager mm-hmm. um, died, <laughs> die? Let's let's get no, out no, there. right. Yes. Our our economy, our way of life, will go on in perpetuity. Yes, if that happened tomorrow. Right. And the reason why we know this for sure is because we all experienced COVID. Right. We all experienced that. Yes. And then the paradigm that somehow placed these titans of capital on top and all of us right. on the bottom, they got flipped. Exactly. And everybody rep- understood yes. the value of the, the, what do they call the quote unquote frontline workers. Yes. Right? All of those, all of that frontline work yes. is the actual work that perpetuates our economy every single day. Right. You know, from, 
food delivery people to nurses right. to doctors and orderlies to sanitation workers right. to the working class right those folks we're not really sure what they do or what value they actually bring into the economy and they're like you know, either like the people who are like developing more and more Baroque sort of financial products that are based on other financial products that are based on other financial products. Right. But the person that's actually like, like, yes, like it's so abstract, yes. right? Yes. Um, that it's really even hard to understand what's being bought and sold and everything else. Right. Like at the end of the day, we weren't concerned with them and making sure that they could work every single day. We were concerned with how can how can the food delivery person, how can the people in uh, working, working behind cash registers and groceries, how can nurses, how could. Right. So the point I'm making here is that we need to have a proper a proper frame, mm -hmm. a proper ideological frame right. to have this conversation. If we are the ones that are constantly the people who produce the value in this economy, then it's only natural that, that we should receive the, the benefit from the value that we put in. How are we putting in all the inputs, but some folks who actually aren't... In, that don't even know how to do it. Right. How are they the ones that are... So with this question around technology, AI, robotics, you know, on and on and on and on, to me... The fundamental problem is the economic system. And once we realize that, then we will organize. Right. And we will we will organize. And I think the biggest, the one thing currently, as long as we have a oligarchic form of democracy that we could, right, we could use that in order to, this is what we do at Working Families. Right. We believe that working people should govern, not the wealthy, not corporations. We should use the limited purchase we have on democracy to commandeer government, exactly right, so that we could create public policy in order to constrain capital, so that we could ensure that we realize the value. Uh, everyday people realize the value of our economy. What does that look like, right? A, a robust public healthcare system, including mental health, a robust top-class educational system from K to university, right. the commons, parks, and libraries, and like. We we are the wealthiest country in the history of countries, right. right? And so there's enough wealth for all of us to experience that. It's the public policy because we have a corporately captured, um, uh, corporately captured government. It's the public policy that is so skewed to those to those VC people in Silicon Valley and the already wealthy and the corporations. And the one thing that we have is our ability to, to be able to, to seize control of the government and then create public policy, policy in order to constrain those folks. And we should use that. Also, as workers, we should use our ability as workers to organize together and be able to that thing that I talk about, the inputs that we're putting into our economy, our labor, exactly. organize our labor in order to demand from the corporate class and from the wealthy the conditions that we want. And which is why I'm so excited that that the Teamsters are look like they might strike. On UPS, right. Yes. On UPS, that that actors are on the verge of striking, that writers are striking, working people are recognizing the power, recognizing, oh, I have something, I have my labor, this thing that's so valuable that, yeah. that the ruling class takes for granted. If we organize together, Maurice, we can change the, the conditions. We are excited about this. We're excited yeah. to have you. 
you have another appointment. All right. And I don't want to break the promise. So thank you so much. It was so good, brother. It's been, been too long. Absolutely. So thank you for being on Politics Done and Right, man. Absolutely. And can I just make a shout out? Absolutely if, do if it. If anybody's interested in organizing with us at the Working Families Party, uh, the best thing you could do is you could either text WFP to 30403 or find us at Working Families on on Twitter, on Instagram, on all the social media, or go to our website, workingfamilies.org. Thank you so kindly. Thank it's you, been brother. a pleasure every time. Absolutely. And we must do this again sooner Let's than do it. the last time, okay? All right, take care. All right, take care now. Well, folks, that was Maurice Mitchell, who is the national director of the Working Families Party. And that party, it's a progressive party that's been growing for a while. They they have, they've actually uh, had mayors, et cetera. In actually, New York City, uh, not New York City, but New York, they're very, they're very prominent in New York and several other states where they actually, their candidates actually win. So um, anyhow, um, I, 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 before we go, 713-526-5738. Again, that number is 713-526-5738. Anybody wants to discuss some of the issues that we spoke about there? please feel free to give us a call, 713-526-5738. There's something rather important that he mentioned as far as um, a, a, lot of, a lot of conservatives, when progressives make the kinds of statements that Maurice Mitchell makes, like what do they do up there? I want you to really consider the part of the interview where he said, you know how we know what folks are really worth? Remember the pandemic. And in the pandemic, what we noted is all the people that had worth, the real worth in the people, those people that are the servers, the doctors, the nurses, the grocery store check uh, person, the UPS driver that was making sure you could get the things that you were scared to go to the store to get because you could get sick. But they were the sacrificial lambs. They are the ones that made the economy continue to chug along. Those are the people who made the economy chug along. And Maurice also said, what do those VCs really do? What They're just puppeteers. They don't have the knowledge to do the things that they pay for. They have one thing, capital. That's all that they've got, capital. And capital has given them the ability to, even though they can't do anything, you throw them on, an, on a desert island with a farmer, and the farmer can survive. The farmer can eat. But these guys wouldn't know what to do with the land. And those are the people we think deserve magnitudes of, of money more than us. Tons of money more than us. That the UPS driver is trying to fight to get $24 an hour. For, for putting their body at risk. And the CEO says they are on, or, or, or rather, this wasn't that particular CEO. Uh, the CEO of the the, the, the writers, et cetera, said, oh, they are unrealistic for what they want, but he's making $18 million for sitting in an office doing nothing. The UPS head, the head who, guy who heads the UPS said they are scared to pay those guys that kind of an income because what if their money dropped? And you know what? They're making record profits. Let me tell you something, okay? We have, I wrote, I'm, I'm coming to you, Johnny. I wrote an article called, as we, we, as Americans, need to learn and start asserting our worth. You see, the slave mentality, slavery used to be a pigmentation issue. 
It's no longer that. Uh, you know, I would speak about certain, certain pastors. You go into the church and they give you cash and they give you the things that you want. And, you know, they make you feel comfortable and they make you feel a part of this system. And the, the, the pastor knows what he's doing. He's fomenting the taking of your mind. Because he knows when he takes your mind, all that you own is then his. Remember that I notice I'm doing it in a male state as a male statement because usually that's where you find these evil types of pastors. But it's about the mind. And in America, we have mind control right now. And the mind control is that Elon Musk is a great guy. Look at what he's built. Elon, Elon Musk has built nothing, but that you have people in the media revolting that this guy got a, a, this private guy got a spacecraft up. First of all, he didn't. He touched space, something we did in 1969. We didn't touch space. We went to the moon and back on the public, on all of your money, guys, all you baby boomers out there. Thank you very much for taking us to the moon. Elon Musk is using billions to attain much less. And it's your billions he's using as the media makes it seem like it is him who has the knowledge to do what he doesn't have the knowledge to do. It's about asserting our worth. It's about remembering when you look in the mirror. Are, are you somebody who goes ahead? Are you a, do you flip a burger? Do you, do, it, do you flip a burger if you do? Okay. Uh, by the way, folks, I, I was told to let you know that I do, uh, we are at um, uh, lower power on the transmitter. So if you hear a little bit of static, it's because our power is at a lower power. I'm not exactly sure why. Uh, I'm pretty sure we'll find that out later on. But anyhow, please remember, when you look in the mirror, my brothers and my sisters, when you look in that mirror, it is you who are worthy. It is you who make America run. And for those who defend the corporate state, the corporations, etc., they're doing tower work is what I understand. For those of you who do the work, you're looking in the mirror right now. You are the ones that make the economy run. So don't dare consider Elon Musk a great person as someone who created something. Don't dare. And I can tell you from a personal, from a personal point of view, and I've written this in several of my books, a couple of my books, I believe. My personal income was pretty much stolen because Jeff Bezos got a patent for something called One Click, something in software that all of us who have half of a brain knows to do, but he patented it. Look up the Amazon One Click patent. There are hundreds of us out there who were developing software, cart software. That couldn't because Amazon, well, I, I don't know if it's Amazon or Bessos, held on to the one, pat, uh, one pat, patent, one click patent. Go ahead, Johnny. Come on in. Thank you so much. Finally, somebody is putting Elon Musk in his place. Are you hearing that, Steve? <laughs> Elon Musk is overrated, buddy. Overrated. 
you are so right. Uh, we went to the moon and back. We had the Apollo program. All that research, all that stuff, all that fundamental scientific knowledge was established by the taxpayer's dime, by scientists at universities, not by Elon and his right-wing people cheering like crazy because a rocket blew up uh, before it got into uh, – <laughs> before it escaped their gravity. Please. But that's not why I'm calling. I'm calling Go for to, it, my brother. I'm calling to ask you, uh, my takeaway of your buddy from the working class party, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but is he saying, in other words, that uh, the corporate industrial oligarchy, the CEOs, in other words, that they are not the right ones to be creating and fomenting policy, but in fact, policy uh, should be created from the same people who create the wealth every day, people like you and me, the burger flippers, the policemen, the cops, the teachers, the lawyers, the doctors, people who actually work every day for a living and not the people who just rake in the money and sit in Wall Street on their ass doing nothing but stealing like Mitt Romney. Yes, you're, you, you understood what Maurice Mitchell said perfectly. And, and Maurice Mitchell said that. And, and let me tell you, whenever you hear a, a CEO says, well, he deserved his pay because he made things more efficient. Remember, not even that he did. Uh, a burger flipper, somebody who flips a burger. A lot of times they're in there and they flip in a burger and they say, you know, manager, if I arrange the burgers in this way on the, on, on the panel, I can actually get uh, about three more burgers every hour. And the manager said, oh, man, that's cool. All right. And they pass it up the chain and they redesign equipment based on what the average worker sees. The average worker doesn't get a raise for the efficiency that he created or she created. But the manager gets all the kudos because, hey, we made a bigger way, a bigger machine that does it better. No. You, you design the machine based on the input from working people who realize if certain things were done more efficiently, they could do more. And, and, and again, so uh, and you remember the analogy that I do with the pastor, when, the, when you go into a church and they treat you super nice and they don't even ask you for money initially. But later on, because they know when they have your mind, they have you. And right now, corporations have the minds of too large a percentage of Americans. And you'll see them. You'll see a lot of Americans defending these wealthy people that don't give a hoot about them or that have created a healthcare system that is screwing them, have created a, 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 a energy system that's screwing them, have created all these systems which they use to extract money from the people. I tell you, my brothers and sisters, look in the mirror. It is you who are worth it. Come on in again, Johnny. You know what's scary? Last night, I happened upon a whole bunch of videos. I didn't even realize how many videos on YouTube are, are available that are showing, actually showing the work, the research being done in developing AI and robots that resemble human beings and robots that work in shipping and planting and medicine. Yes. And, uh, and you know what's going to happen. You know where this is going. Yes. Uh, in order to get back our power, we're going to not only have to teach each other how to engage in civil in civil uh, discourse and debate and our and our negotiation skills, but we're also going to have to figure out 
how to combat and destroy these robots, these police robot dogs, and these well, you, drones. you know, Johnny, what I try to tell folks, what I try to, Johnny, hold on a second. Uh, I'm trying to tell people. AI is out of the box. AI has been out of the box. The media just hadn't covered it. But when you, whenever you uh, call into a station and the station says, how can I help you? And you hear, and it's a robot that's actually talking to you and answering your question. That has always been AI. It's just that we have so many components now being done by automation that the automation in composite now is in fact AI, artificial intelligence, okay? But it's been growing for decades. It's been growing for decades. We just have to understand that it is here to stay and it's not a bad thing. It's a thing that needs to be managed because as you know, we have to make sure humanity, uh, con- again, that, that a few people don't take care of the uh, composite knowledge of humanity. Composite knowledge meaning all of our knowledge put together is our composite knowledge. And all of that knowledge is what AI is able to aggregate, put together into a model, as Maurice was saying. It puts into a model, and that model is the smartest person possible because it can hold all the knowledge of the world. And that's fine. But that should mean we work a lot less. Hey, I got another call, Johnny. Anything else you want to say real quick? Yes, I would like to retort real quick. Uh, The problem with AI is that this is not the discovery of fire, as I said last week. We're not learning how to cook food or heat our house or burn our house down. If you burn your house down, that's one thing. It's limited. But AI has the capability of doing massive damage like nuclear power. We have created nuclear power plants. And we don't know how to deal with the nuclear waste. Thank you, Johnny. Johnny, you're a genius. Let me go. Let let me throw you off, please, Johnny. I got to go to another call, but you're a great guy. Keep calling, keep listening, keep giving your great input. Let's go to David real quickly. David, come on in. Let's get to David. Hey, I couldn't hear what Johnny was saying, but this is some interesting uh, information I got over one of the little phone blogs that I get. Uh, They... There was a figure that I that I received in this thing. It talked about Jeff Bezos in the year 2022. They said that Jeff Bezos, the amount of money that Jeff Bezos made in 2022 was equivalent to 125 times the minimum wage. And now this he made every second of the year of 2022. So I did the math. And here's what it boils down to. Uh, humor me on this. Give me a little time. I'll, I'm boiled down to the figure. Okay, you're, you're not going to get a lot of time, Brother Tag, because we got another call on limited time. So do as quick as you can, my brother. I'm going to go as fast as I can. There's 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour. That's 3,600 seconds. There's 86,400 seconds in, in, a, in a day. There's, there is 31,536,000 seconds in a year. So you figure out how many... What is 125 times the minimum wage? It comes out to $906.25. This is what Jeff Bezos made every second of the year. This is how much money Jeff Bezos made in 2022. It comes out to $3,035,340,000 in 2022. There you go. And, and you know what? Uh, he didn't make uh, you. You made one mistake in your statement. And who am I to correct my caller? But I'm going to correct you there. You, it's not his money. He didn't earn it. Well, he didn't earn it. As far as the government is concerned, it's his money. 
And you and and I'll tell you what, uh, if you think you're gonna tra- take it away from him. Actually, let me tell you, no, I, I, I can't take it away from him, but we, but we, listen to me well, we can create policy to make sure he steals no more. Okay? I'm, we can I'm, create... I'm, 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 I'm not yeah, quite we, as sanctioned about that as you are. Well, let me tell I, you, no, no, I, I, Brother David, we must be. Yeah. We must be, we must, remember what I talk about. We must assert our worth. We must look into that mirror. They depend on us saying they are not strong. Their strength only comes from our, impli- our implicit weakness. They are no stronger than we are. Their strength comes from us believing we are weak. Remember that. Can you gave me one, one minute about dealing with fact. And I, you know, we can, we can talk all the, all these, uh, flattering things about how how we're strong and but here's the no no wait that. david david brother david it is not flattery it is a mindset change they don't have arms they depend on the military that the working class is in they depend on the police that the working class is in that the work i mean again david this is not about flattery this is about just like they reversed our mind thinking with the Powell memo to think to make us believe we are weak, but we're not. You and I and others, as we grow, can revert to the mindset that says, no, we are strong, not because we're saying we're strong. We are strong because we are strong in the numbers. That's a stat- that is the statistical and a factual fact. So let's remember that, David. That's what it's thought. David, I got to go to tag, but. Thank you so kindly for calling with your wisdom, sir. Okay. All right, let's go to Tag. Come on in, Tag. Morning, Egberto. I just wanted doing, to sir? say quickly about about uh, change the topic a little bit, maybe for another day here. Um, uh, saw Tom Cotton on TV this weekend, Senator Tom mm-hmm. Cotton, and he was talking about abortion tourism, if you can believe that. Yeah. And right. Yeah. Also. Uh, Senator Tommy Tuberman's been holding up military appointments because yes, he has the wants to pay for people to go someplace else to get abortions. Well, I think we really need to take a good hard look at uh, uh, sepsis pregnancies and why these people have to travel to another state to get this work done. And um, and these these Republicans are so far uh, uh, away from reality, you know, uh, that we we really need to put the pressure on them to take another look at this topic. So, um, abortion travelism, give me a break. It, I, it's I ridiculous, brother. It. It's ridiculous. But look, Great. thank you very much for uh, calling in, yep. Tag. You're a great guy. All right. Have a good day. Bye bye. You too, sir. All right, folks. Look, um, let me tell you, we're close to the end of the show. Please, uh, we we aren't going to get everything covered. So, uh, go ahead and 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 go to the newsletter politicsdoneright.com slash newsletter politicsdoneright.com slash newsletter every every morning at five o'clock that newsletter goes out with the topics that we're going to cover in case you call in because this is your show in case you call in and change the subject or we don't get to all the entire subject you can always reach it from the um uh, from the newsletter and cover it generally i don't re i don't do uh, i don't 
carry things over unless it's it's the way we designed to carry it over or, or unless you change it. So the newsletter is always there for you to figure out what we're going to talk about. Politicsdoneright.com slash newsletter. I want to make a quick statement about the UPS, the oncoming possibility of a UPS strike. Um, earlier, uh, our brother uh, David was talking about our implicit strength. And I, I think he sort of said, you know, we can sing the glory, glory, hallelujah and all the words, but I think he's a bit dubious that not everybody is going to be as strong, let's say, as he is, as we are here mentally, and that we, t- we, we allow others to take advantage of, uh, of us, and that's just how humanity may be. No, it's not. Uh, let me just say that, you know, um, if I, be- I honestly believe I am my brother's keeper, my sister's keeper. We all should feel, have the mindset that, we are in a collective. And the reason why is we are. We can't do things on our own. I depend on the former. You depend on the person who makes the microchips. We will never be, you know, while we like to push the individualistic nature of the American system, it has always been a farce. You can only be an individual if you have slaves. We are a collective. We depend on each other. There's no way I could do without my garbage man, my mechanic, my engineer, my doctor, my lawyer, my all these things. We depend on each other, and that is called a society. And we create rules in the society to ensure that one can't take advantage of the other. And that is what's broken in our society. We have allowed a, an economic system that screws the most to enrich a many, a few. That's just what we have. I've got to get out of here right now. So um, let me give the 15-second the closer to both my brothers in the studio, uh, uh, Van Bebek and El Senor Reynolds. Well, I was a little disappointed you didn't say my board operator. <laughs> no, we are we are a collective, brother. I know, I know. I'm I'm just I'm just messing with you this morning. It's a Monday morning. We can do that. And uh, I think Jack has some closing remarks here. Hey, uh, fifteen I, seconds, I, I, Jack. Elon Musk is stealing space from the people. He is a hitman, and, and SpaceX uh, is is destroying NASA, turning it into an amusement park, basically. <laughs> want to and I think, I, uh, wait, wait, Jack, all of that captures what you need to say, in my humble opinion, but I got to go because uh, Reynolds going to kick me off. So my name is Egberto Willies. This is Politics Done Right. Love you guys all. I am what? Out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.